a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report, season six kicking off. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. Uh, Gary Michaels couldn't be here today. He's on the radio, and that's kind of like, you know, his main job, so we're going to let him take a pass on the first few episodes. But we're starting off big. Like, when I, we talked about this podcast at first, when I pitched it to KSL and we talked about doing it, I said, you know, the first person we got to have on is Steve Conowalchuk, because he's like the original guy from Utah that broke it out, and it only took us six years to get you on the show. But today's guest, Steve Conowalchuk. Steve, thanks for being on. Oh, you're welcome, and... Uh... Sorry, it took six years. I didn't know I was that uh, that hard to find, but uh, hey, I'm finally on, so I'm excited. Yeah, I, well, it's just so weird because I had your phone number, and then uh, the number I had didn't work, and then I like I'd reach out to a few people that you and I had in common that I thought would have your number, and then man, it, you know how it gets. Things just yeah. keep rolling. And but uh, Steve, you're the first guy to get out of Utah. Like, obviously, the first player from Salt Lake to make the NHL. And I just wanted to talk to you about, you know, how you got out of here, the people that helped you and what you remember about growing up in Salt Lake. So let's just start off with what's like your first hockey memories. Well, my first hockey memories are, I guess, would be the, uh, you know, when you're, you're five, six years old playing house league hockey. And then, and then from there it, uh, you know, we had a really fun group, uh, Odie Cook, Mike Brennan, Tyler Floor, just, you know, I'm missing names, but the same group that kind of stuck together on, on a Utah State state team that made it a lot of fun. And even as young kids, we were traveling to Alaska, Colorado, lots, different areas. So we were able to find some fairly good competition uh, and, and we were able to hang in, hang in to some of the better teams uh, around, around the Western United States. But it was sure fun playing with that, that group of kids and, uh, you know, so I guess that's where I got my my love of the sport. Uh, my brother, I have a brother that's a year older. We were rink rats together. We did everything together. So it was always fun to have, uh, you know, anytime we found ice or any way we could get ice to, to be able to skate with him. And, you know, and again, when you, when you talk about first to get out of Utah, I think it was a package deal, me and my brother. Like he, he he's the reason we got out of Utah as far as hockey. We were, we were at a camp at 15 years old in Vancouver. Uh, in British Columbia, just, uh, you know, we didn't think much of it, but just, just kind of a, it was, I guess it was a recruiting camp. We went in next thing, you know, he's on a plane to Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, um, maybe potentially playing for the Prince Albert Raiders. And at that time I was 15 and I just wanted to go play. So, you know, I went up and got a billet for a bit and uh, played Bantam midget hockey. So that's how we got out of Utah. But it was all of a sudden quick and, and, uh, and there we go. And we were up in Saskatchewan. And again, when I say got out of Utah, I'm not saying that as a negative, but at some point you need to get to where the competition is. And, and then that, that's where hockey took us. Man, that's like the hottest topic every year, every episode people talk about having to leave Utah and why do we have to leave Utah? But we'll get to more of that as we go on, but it's crazy to hear. It sounds like you guys getting out and, is is Brian your older brother? That's yeah, he's a year older. He's a year older. I thought he was younger for some reason, but so so Brian kind of broke the ice for you, and you were able to get out of here. But um, before we jumped, but it, that's crazy because it just sounds unexpected, and it seems like to if you're going to a camp in BC and then all of a sudden you're playing juniors, that's it seems like that would be expected. But that's that's cool to hear. I want to hear more about that. But what about like your Growing up here, 
you mentioned Brennan and Odie Cook and those and Tyler Floor. Those are names I totally remember growing up. Like when I got into the sport, you guys were already big, and those were the big names to compete against. But um, like, what coaches do you think helped you? And were you you talked about finding ice? Where were you skating? What ice rinks were you hitting? Was it just Hygieia at that time? Well, there's three rinks. Uh, you know, first of all, coaching onto the coaching Bob Tucker. I think he coached the majority of teams that uh, my brother and I played on like growing up. And, and so he spent a lot of time with us and, and, and dedicating his time. So he was a big part of that. And certainly, certainly, you know, taught us a lot of, a lot about hockey and, and, uh, and also put the time in and, and helped us really enjoy going to the rink. So always certainly appreciative there for, for Tucker cause he coached most of our teams. Um, and then uh, as far as ice rinks go, there was, basically three Hygieia was the one rink uh bountiful and cottonwood you know okay. and then there was the odd time I, I think murray park had a little outdoor rink um salt palace there did have ice actually a lot of the ice time we got was extra ice was extra ice anyway anyway my dad could get us the ice we would skate with our teams but it still wasn't a ton of ice time and my dad coming from uh just outside edmonton alberta knew a little bit a little bit more maybe what it would take and how much ice and maybe the outside competition to try to keep up. And and so he would get us ice time anywhere he could. Two ways we did it was men's league. You know, we, he, we would be out playing men's league at 10, 11 at night. And, you know, I, I remember Matt Brickley was, was so big and letting us skate with him and such a big part of our ice time and a lot of fun. And, and, and all, and to all the uh, men's league that put up with us, a couple little kids that were out there skating <laughs> with them. So, but that was a big part of it. And then, the Salt Lake Golden Eagles were, you know, somehow my dad found a way after after the games, and he was buddies with whichever coach. Wayne Thomas is probably probably the biggest one that rings a bell. Super super nice. They would let us skate after the hockey games, so the games would end at nine ten at night, and and we would put our skates on and we would go skate till one or two in the morning. And while while they were cleaning the bleachers in the Salt Palace after a Golden Eagles game, we would be out there shooting pucks, goofing around, just having a good time and a little tired for school the next day. And I don't know if my mother always appreciated that, but she understood and was supportive as well. And it was sure fun, but anyway, we could get ice. And I think those are two unique ways that we could get ice in, in, in an area that's not necessarily a hockey hotbed at the time. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Though. Like I, I remember going to the, some of those golden Eagles games and just to be able to play that salt palace and just goof around and, and be free at the end of ice. Like, Oh, that'd be amazing. Wow, it was it was it was cool. It was cool, and and you know, it just did like like and even watching the games. Like for me, that was the NHL. You know, uh, Doug Palazzari, Joe Mullen, uh, Federico, different names like that. Those guys, uh, those were the NHL. You know, we yeah. we didn't have access. I think at the time, maybe you know, if you had ESPN, you could start catching some NHL games on ESPN. Uh, we weren't fortunate enough to have that, so. You know, the Golden Eagles were, they were our NHL. And so those guys, I, I certainly, you know, for me growing up, Joey Mullen, because I could saw him for just a short time there, you know, was always my favorite, favorite player. And I did have a chance to play against him. So it was pretty special for me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because you, you got to see some of those players. And for so every time we do one of these podcasts, some of the same names come up, uh, Joey Mullen, and then obviously Palazzari and those guys, but, and then, Theron Fleury, his name, like the limited amount of time that he was here, the impact he seemed to have on the people here. And then you watch them, and the next thing you know, you're in the NHL playing against them. Is that pretty surreal, or what's that like? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I miss I miss Fleury. I think the time I came in Canada, we he came from Canada to play for Salt Lake, so so I miss I missed him. So I never really was able to. I heard about him when I left. Uh, how good a small guy was doing it for the team. I definitely heard about him, but I didn't get a chance to watch him in, in Salt Lake, uh, you know, but certainly when I was playing against Joey Mullen, it was like, wow, I can't believe that uh, getting that opportunity. Yeah, no, I guess that would have been the same for a lot of the Flames at the time. It's such a cool relationship to have and, and to have that interaction. Um, your names come up quite a bit through interviews, and they talked about how um, I think Mike Brennan was telling us there were – the group of you guys that were that were playing you and Brian, uh, I want to say were the levies involved with that at the time. It seems like a year, <clears throat> excuse me, a year older. Okay, so, so I, I my brother would lap a little bit, like so every other year he'd maybe lap a year, if I remember correctly. But uh, he would lap a year, but not not in not in the team I was ever in. I never. 
you know, I think I, I played against uh, Levy in one U.S. Olympic festival. I think it was 1991, a big tryout. I believe he was there as well. That's probably the only time hockey-wise I crossed paths a little bit with him. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, we had him on the show last season. We got to talk to him about the the, the Olympics and trying out for that. And um, Do you remember, like, uh, like guys – because there were a lot of guys at the time, and it seemed like it was getting expensive. It seemed like there were a lot of people that were, like, just almost team funding. It sounded like the Brennans and maybe, like, Bill Miller and those guys would just kind of pay the – or maybe even the Nates would pay the way for a bunch of kids and, and just kind of create that, I don't know, team experience, keep everybody playing, basically. Do you remember any of that going on? Or well, I, I remember certainly uh... – Certainly it was expensive. Certainly it was, um, you know, my dad was a nine to five truck driver trying to get a couple kids through hockey. And, and when we have to go to Alaska and different places for tournaments, it, uh, it was, it was expensive and, and we needed help. And I know Brennan's, uh, there's also name of, uh, Madsen. I know I, I believe helped us at certain points in time. I, I, you know, I, I know I was very grateful for, you know, those people that I know that helped a bit. I don't know the extent and, you know, what, what that was, but I also know, you know, there was a raffle that uh, they came up with a raffle, like any uh, any fundraiser. But it was certainly the way they set it up. You know, it was almost for every dollar of raffle ticket you you got, you sold. It went to your own kid, and and we spent hours. Again, my dad would take us to the bowling alley where there'd be a ton of people who would have thought of that. But he'd go to bowling leagues, and and they're all drinking beer, and they have ones and twos out on the table, and and we'd go up and down, and he would he would he was able to sell an awful lot of raffle tickets. Uh, in the bowling alleys and, and different, different, uh, beer league bowling, bowling tournaments, or whatever. So there's different ways, certainly a lot of help. You know, the other names you mentioned, I, I, I they totally may have helped as well and helped different people, you know, uh, it, cause it was very expensive and, and, yeah. and it, it's just hard to, hard to be a part of that competitive when you're traveling for, for most people. Yeah. And it seems like it's just getting more and more expensive, but it, that was just one of the things I remember people talking about is it just seemed like you guys had such a great group. And a great support structure that you just found ways to make sure everybody got to stay involved. I, I was always super impressed with that. So I just want to bring that up again in case any listeners or, you know, any people that are listening to the podcast want to help out their local kids. There's always the opportunity because they're always uh, – the pay to play, it just, you know, it's, it's too bad that sometimes it eliminates certain kids from playing. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's you know, it's always an expensive sport to start with. And then, uh, you know, Salt Lake – Salt Lake definitely a little bit, a little bit tougher, and and it was a special group. It was a fun group, and maybe that was part of it to keep everybody involved. Different people stepped in and chipped in and helped out with the money, and it was a very fun group to play with. Group of parents and a group of kids, and and certainly again, I if I didn't love the game so much, and that's where I fell in love with the game, I probably don't go on. I think you have to have so much love to to reach the very top, love of whatever you do to reach the, reach the top of it. To, to fight through adversity and continue. And it certainly, certainly started with in Salt Lake with that group of people. Yeah. So tell us about that next step. So you, you're now you're playing Bantams in, in Canada after playing at Salt Lake. Like what kind of a culture shock was that for you? Well, it, well, okay. So I'm going from three rinks and I go to Prince Albert, Saskatchewan and, and there's, it's a town of about 30, 35,000 people and literally probably 20 to 30 ice rinks. And now they're not all, they're not all salt palace, believe me, but there, you can walk to the corner and there's an outdoor ice rink. So you could all, or you could go to any pond or slough or whatever, and you could skate. So you, you go from where, where my dad would have to drive hours, hours to get us ice to as much ice as I needed during the winter time. Um, so that was, that was, that was awesome. And then all of a sudden the competition. So I get there, I'm second year Bantam, you know, used to being a pretty good player, but again, I was, I always thought I always believed in myself, but I was always Brian's little brother. Brian was the, you know, he's the brother a year older. I was the, I was the little brother. And in a lot of ways it was like, Oh, and that's Brian's brother. Cause Brian was, you know, he was flashy player and he was, everyone thought he's better at the time. I, I never conceded that he was better than me at the time, but he was, <laughs> he was, you know, it, 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 we always had a healthy competition, but, but he certainly, uh, you know, he was the guy that was supposed to go on to play and I was his little brother. You know, so but I get up to I get up to their Bantam hockey and I they had a really good team, a per later cup host team that's Western Canada Championship happened to be in Prince Albert and I was the last cut to that team, so that was devastating and for me I was like, Oh man, I that that hurt. And then the next two years didn't go so well either, as far as 
the teams I was trying out for. You know, I, I didn't grow. Uh, you know, I have a late birthday anyway, and and so next two years I was I was cut cut off the midget teams that I needed to to be on to to kind of you kind of have a path you think you need the steps you need to take. Uh, finally, finally at eighteen at eighteen years old, again, their Portland Winterhawks were were out scouting my brother, and at this point. Uh, Brian's decided he's going to go play tier two and he ends up getting a full, full scholarship to Denver university, but they were scouting my brother and decided to take a pick a peek at me. And I scored a hat trick that day. And, and uh, the GM was Bob Torrey's there and uh, took me to Portland. He took me to Portland. I, as a tryout made the team and, and from there it went really quick. Like I, I believe from, from playing midget hockey, I was playing an NHL game just over two years. Wow. Like, so I go from getting cut and I getting cut, getting cut. All of a sudden I make the junior team play after the first year, get drafted, go back the next year, play, play another full season. And then at the end of that year, I get to play an NHL game. So it happened quick. So I go to Canada. Certainly, certainly didn't go the way I wanted when I first uh, played Bantam and midget hockey. But when I, when I finally got going, it just seemed to happen quick and, and again, the only thing that got me probably through is again, the way I say you have to love the game. When I'm getting cut off those teams, uh, there was, you know, I the thought of me playing in my mind for the NHL at that point was, you know, probably all gone. But I just wanted to keep playing because I loved it so much. I just loved to play, so I just kept playing, and it just it just happened. You know, you'd be amazed. It, it's so good to hear you talk like that because we we've had uh, Trevor Lewis on this podcast who we've had him on several times and he talks all the time about he went through the same thing getting cut getting cut getting a chance realizing what a chance it was and just capitalizing on it um Garrett Metcalf I don't know if you know Garrett he's a he's a goalie here I'm sure you know his dad but Garrett same thing didn't really have the work ethic didn't really have the attitude but loved hockey and then at some point it kicked in he started he got cut from a team and then all of a sudden he really loved hockey and changed his focus and realized if he was going to make it, how much work it was going to take. And now he's like the shining example of a work ethic and loving the game and like a big smile on his face while he's playing. And it's just, it's good to hear that. It's good for other people to hear that, that it's not just, not everybody just knows they're going and makes it all the way. Even the best players have to battle it out. So that's, it's so good to hear. Yeah, it it certainly is. It's a, it's a marathon and you have to do it for the right reasons. And I, I you have to do it for the right reasons. Cause you, cause you love it first. And I think, I think in a lot of different areas, not just hockey, it's changing a little bit. It's so kids are getting so specialized in, you know, it, that whatever they're training to do, I don't care whether it's music or baseball or hockey, it, you know, parents put the kids in the lessons and, and skills lessons, whatever kind of lessons. And it's, it's go, 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 go right from the start. And I think sometimes the reason you're doing it can get lost, especially from coaching junior hockey. Um, you know, you can see in some kids that they've done it because they're good at it, but you can see they don't quite have the passion. And I think that's too bad in a lot of cases. You know, I, I think, you know, for me, there was never, when I was on the ice, there was never a care in the world. It was, I just, <clears throat> I would just be consumed by the hockey. Now I see, t- and now I see kids playing and that becomes their stress if that makes sense, because they, yeah. they have pressures, they have pressures to succeed. They have pressures to, you know, that they have to be good because that's what they're supposed to do their whole entire life. And I just think that's the way society's changing a lot of things, not just hockey, but instead of doing it just, you know, for the sake of doing it or going to the local ballpark uh, in your neighborhood and playing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it goes somewhere. Kids are getting lessons from day one. So it's a little bit changed that way. And, I never, yeah. I I played like I always say I really actually played. I never, I never ever considered myself working hard, and it's interesting. Like, like when I get in the NHL, the couple of the reporters and watch, man, do you work hard? I'm like, what are you talking about? It never ever crossed my mind I worked hard. Like I, I I was just playing. It's just the way I played, and I didn't play because I was the most skilled guy in the world. But I guess you know, I, but I guess I battled and I worked the way they saw it. But never work. It was just too much fun all the time. That's awesome. That's so cool to hear, but and you are in a, now that you're on the other side of it, you're seeing it, right? You're seeing these kids come through, 
and you say you see it, does it really stand out? Like, can you tell that kid has talent, but he doesn't really want to be here? And that kid almost has the talent and he loves the game and wants to be here. Does that stand out as a, as a coach and as a scout? Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially at the junior level, excuse me, the junior level, you know, like it's just the kids, you don't have to kick off the ice too much. Uh, You can tell who's into it every day. You can tell who's doing it because they love it also and not, not having, having too much pressure outside pressures of expectations, you know, they, because there is a lot where, you know, I hate to say in extreme cases, you can tell when someone's parent comes into town, they're in a good mood. And, and, uh, and then uh, all of a sudden their parents come in and you can tell they're feeling a little bit of pressure like because you get to know your kids so well, but certainly the kids that want to play the kids that want to play um, and, and totally love it. It stands out and, and they do, they, they improve more because they're so consumed by it, paying attention all the time. They're not the kids you have to, really motivate or get under to get going it just comes to them because they 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 enjoy it and they want to do it so bad yeah that's uh i think that's a good lesson for a lot of people i I don't know if you know jordan parisi we've had him on the show too and he's talked a lot about where there was a change in the way he like he grew up just loving to play hockey and that was his whole family was a hockey family and he talked about the pressure of playing but he said you know, and he'd go to these practices and he'd want to stop every puck in practice. And he said it took him a minute to realize that, oh, wait, I'm supposed to develop too. I'm supposed to, like, maybe if I don't get to this puck in practice, but I'm working on this technique that he kind of had to change from the passion of just wanting to be competitive to the passion of also wanting to get better while, you know, while doing what he's supposed to be doing. So it's, it's just a multifaceted mindset, I guess, that you got to have when you're going to make it to that level. Well, see, see, now you're talking goaltending, and I, <laughs> I, I would, I would just tell him stop the puck. I like his first flaw. I don't care about the technique; just stop the puck, no. But, but uh, <laughs> certainly, I certainly understand what he's saying. Like, you do have to, you do have to, you know, learn how learn how to technically give yourself a better chance to stop the puck. Or it's no different for a forward defenseman. You you have to take your passion and you have to play within a system or structure at some point, or you're going to end up, you know, hurting your team or making more mistakes. But but it sounds like I I haven't met him, but it certainly sounds like he had the competitive fire and juices, and and from there started putting together what he needed to to become a better goalie. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you just talk to it? You kind of jumped right through juniors into the NHL. Talk to us about draft day like getting drafted well bittersweet a little bit it was bittersweet so uh it was uh, 1991 i did i remember the year uh we it was i didn't go to the draft first of all because i wasn't sure if i'd get drafted a couple nhl teams talked to me but being in prince albert there were a lot of players that i would talk to like oh i talked to every every nhl team so I, I didn't have huge expectations, but deep down, I still believed I might. Uh, so the draft was during the Olympic Festival. My brother was there, his draft year, and my, and my draft year. He could go two years, and it was my my first draft year. But because I was younger, I had to go in the first three rounds or something. It was a weird thing. That time, I had to go in the first three rounds, or the next year, I could go in any round. And and I think you know a lot of the players went down to some restaurant and watched the ticker on uh, – you know, before internet, I believe. <laughs> so, so you had to go. You had to go. We went down and watched the ticker to, to see who was getting drafted. And I think they showed the first couple rounds, and my name wasn't there. Go back to my dorm, and 
feeling sorry for myself and all of a sudden door knocks and someone said, Hey, Jack Button from Washington Capitals uh, is trying to reach you. They just drafted you. So that's how I found out. And I was really excited. And then I was also a little bit, uh, you know, I was also disappointed because at that point my brother didn't get drafted. So, so, you know, like I said, package deal, it would have been real nice if that year he would have got drafted. He did get drafted the next year to San Jose, but it certainly would have been nice that year. So as excited, excited as I was for myself, it was a little bit disappointing too. Yeah, I, I can see that. Okay, and I think that's where I got confused because I knew he got drafted after you by San Jose because I don't even think San Jose was a team in '91, right? Were they? Or maybe, maybe the next. Maybe it was the next year. Like, or, you know, it must have been. Must yeah. have been the next year because I think you know I certainly remember playing them when they were in the old first rink they were in, like uh, San Francisco Cow Palace or whatever it was. I'm not sure what it was at that time before they built built the rink they had been in for years. Yeah, I remember uh, watching your older brother. I remember watching Brian, and I, I met him a few times while he was at Denver. And just like, man, what a what a fun player to watch. And then you know he's like, you just expect him to be an NHL superstar. He gets drafted, and then doesn't he just say, "No, nah, I'm going to go to medical school"? Or he kind of yeah, yeah. He he's he's I guess smarter than me. <laughs> like school. <laughs> He like he left definitely like school better to me, and he's smarter than me when it comes to the X's and O's. I, you know, I, I guess maybe he had a couple passions, right? I, I had one passion, and and that that's just to play and be involved in hockey. And here I am today in it. But he he had a couple passions, and he had a choice. You know, it. it I remember talking to him. He had a choice whether okay, do I go battle it out in the do I go battle it out in the minors, hope to get a contract, and and see where it goes. You know, it was certainly not a guarantee for him at that point, or I guess for a lot of people, but he wasn't a high pick either. And so it, it looked like it would have to be a, a battle and a grind and something that maybe he, you know, could do, but also being real smart. I think he was on the Dean's honor roll for, for, for NDU. So obviously doing really well in school. And that's when he decided to keep going to med school. I think his last year, his last year in university in, in DU, I know he had to miss practices because he was doing so much school, you know, so he really, he really took what college sports is supposed to be. And I know they don't all, all do that as much as, as what he did, but really what it's supposed to be. And he, he's a doctor because he got a scholarship and, and he, he did have to miss some practices last year, which made it tougher for his last year, but I mean, successful doctor and, and doing great in his, in his own way. So worked out for him. Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear. And uh, man, you'd be hard pressed to find a coach that would let you these days at the NCAA level that would understand that. Okay, yeah, this guy's going to be a doctor. He might not make practice, but he'll be just fine in the game. Well, I don't know if coach understands. I don't know if he understood back in the day, but that's he. You have to, right? I mean, he let him do it, but it's but it's still hard. I, I'm sure it was hard for that coach, right? Because you want your guys there practicing all the time, but but DU obviously must have supported it that's what it's all about yeah yeah and du is such an academics like they're known for academics so but yeah amazing amazing um talk to us a little bit about your nhl career looking back at it now i mean man you had a long career and and you look back about all those games with washington and then you know um eventually coming over to colorado like like what just tell us a few of the things that really stand out over that long career Oh wow, what what stand out? I mean, I guess your your first first goal, first first call up's always big. You know, I remember I remember my first call up uh had a took a shot to the ribs actually the, the game before and I my rib was killing me and I almost I was in the minors and I was you know, in the minors I'd play twenty five minutes a night or twenty three minutes a night, so it was hard like I didn't know if I could get through and I remember the trainer telling me man hey I think they're calling a guy up tonight so if you can get through so I at the time I thought I had a sore rib and I so I got it out get through that game and then I get called up you know and then I could get through the pain in the NHL because when I got called up I just played on the fourth line and I could get three get, get a few shifts a period and get through so it was a little easier to get through but as it turned out they find out it's a it's a crack rib, but I remember that if the trainer probably knew who was getting called up and kind of tipped me off, like, man, if you can get through. So I always, I always uh, respected that. So I remember getting called up and I remember playing, you know, playing the first game. I, 
Well, the first game was actually a different occasion. It was after, right after junior in uh, New Jersey Meadowlands. Right after junior, they they gave me a game in at the end of the year. But but I remember my first call up because that's when you're 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 coming up from the minors. First goal, you know, kind of a two on one little wrist shot against Billy Ranford. That that's always a big one. Um, you know, we had a nice playoff run. Unfortunately, I never won a cup, but you remember that. Um, you know, those who's are kind your, of who's your first game against. That first call up, first the first call up was against Minnesota, I believe. Minnesota, and I, I think it was still the North Stars. And all of a sudden, there's a guy. So I moved to Prince Albert. When I first moved to Prince Albert, uh, Mike Medano was just awesome. So I was playing Badham, and he was in the Raiders, and he he was the first overall pick, I think. But he was just awesome for the Western League, you know. And he goes on to Minnesota, and then so my, and all of a sudden, I'm playing playing against him. One of my first games, that was a big moment where you got to catch yourself, not. Uh, not being a deer in headlights and and get out there and play and and pretend you belong, right? So, you know, but I think it was that that would have been the first. I believe that was the first call up game, and and then we went on a little road trip out west and kind of kind of went from there. Oh, it's amazing. It is. It's funny to think about because you do you know you're playing the juniors with these guys and then you play in the NHL with them. It's 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 funny to think about that you'd kind of get starstruck by some of them. I could see like playing against Gretzky or whatever, but. You know, it's it's pretty amazing that, you know, you're just a hockey fan too, right? You grow up watching and enjoying it, and these are the players that help that you appreciate what they could do, and now you're playing against them or with them. Yeah, and that's that's the hard part. you got to be careful, and it, it's part – it's human nature. You, you're all of a sudden there, and you're like, wow. Like, I probably remember my first, my first NHL camp where, again, I – a year before I get drafted, I'm getting cut off a midget team, and now I'm drafted. Now I go to my first camp as a third round pick and they're here, here's a contract. I want you playing exhibition games. So I'm like, Whoa. And, and at that time, our first rounder didn't, didn't get a con. I'm like, what's wow. going on here? This is strange. Like what's going on. So I'm playing, you know, I, I believe I, I remember first, first exhibition game. It was uh, Andrew Chuck. So I was the center at the time I come around the net. I think I have him beat, look up to make a pass, picks my stick and shot against their net and I get to the bench coaches you gotta this level you gotta move the puck a little quicker you know but but again just to, to be to be playing against those guys you're like holy cow I can't believe it. I'm all of a sudden at this point I'm not an NHL player but even in the same locker room as these guys right it it uh it, it can be overwhelming and I think maybe at times a little bit more for myself because I wasn't you know there are guys that are for a number of years, supposed to be a first round pick. They're supposed to be the guy, right? So I think their mind can adjust. Mine, it happened quick. It happened quick. So it was very, very, uh, you know, very surreal, I guess would be the word. But on the other hand, I have a kind of a, I, I like to say a dumb naiveness that I belong, right? And and I, I just go out and I think I think a lot of athletes have to have that. You know, you at the end of the day, you can't worry about who you're playing against. You just go out and play and believe in what you do and, and believe you you can measure up to them. And, you know, certainly as young co- coaching, young, young kids, I try to try to instill that in them, you know, don't worry about who you're playing against. You got to go out and just play, play for yourself. Yeah. Some of the best advice I heard, actually, I've heard it a couple of times and, and a friend of mine told me, you know, a couple of years ago, I got put into a game for the Utah Grizzlies. And at the time I was, you know, 45 years old or whatever. Hadn't played competitive hockey for ever. And plus I was old and I was just there to sit the bench, but the other goalie got hurt. And one of the guys just said, Hey, you've played hockey before, right? You're just going out to play hockey. Don't think of it as anything else other than this is what you do. Just go have a fun time at it. And that honestly, that, that calmed me down and made me think, yeah, this is just hockey. I can do this. I can have fun. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So you probably had time in your life relaxed, you know, we're able to play play better because of it. It'd be exciting for you now watching all the the NHL give these guys the odd chance to to get in the game. Like makes it fun for for the what do they call it? The third goalie or the, the home, yeah. home, home goalie. You yeah. know, I had a story, uh Baltimore Skipjacks, our first round pick. Anyway, we had we had to call a goalie up our our, our the extra goalie in town. So he goes into warm ups and I watch our big guy who's the first Jeff Greenlaw's name. He, I believe it was him, rips a hard shot off his shoulder. And I'm like, whoa, that hurt. The guy didn't say a word. 
I don't remember the guy's name. He didn't say a word, and he sat there to sat on the bench the whole entire game. Takes his takes his bat off off of the game, and he has a he has his collarbone sticking out. But he was so excited to be on the bench, and he didn't want to say a word. He had a broken collarbone for it. And I'm like, man, that guy loves the game. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, I broke my ankle one time. I or I shattered part of it in a in a warm up for the Anchorage Aces once, and I just sat on the bench. Same thing. I'm like, what are and and before the trainer was like, hey, let me let me take a look at it. Like after warmups, and I'm like, not a chance. Am I taking this skate off? Because the minute <laughs> I let go of that pressure, it's gonna just inflate. So I just sat yeah. there hoping that, like, of all nights, don't let tonight be the night I get put in because it'll just, oh. it'll not go well. Yeah. It'll take like a month and a half off work. Oh jeez. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny you bring up the other NHL guys. We had um, the guy that played for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he was an accountant or whatever, and they're interviewing him, and they're like, did you ever think this could happen? And he said, yeah, I remember that that firefighter from Salt Lake got put in a game, and he's like, that was in the back of my head the whole time, and then when it started happening. So, like, even he remembered my, <laughs> my little experience. So kind yeah, of well, good. So you paved the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've known. <laughs> um, so were you, uh, were you there when Ovechkin started? You guys kind of overlapped just at the end. I was not. I was that year. So that that year he got drafted. The year I got traded, they took last place and he got drafted. So that was kind of the dismantling. I got traded. We a bunch of us got traded, and that was the dismantling of of kind of the crew we had for for a lot of years. And the re, rebuild started, and and so no, I, I've never uh, never crossed paths with him. Okay, so what do you think it took? What what made you a captain in the NHL? What's what? What part of you in the locker room or on the ice made you a captain? What would you tell young players today? This is why I was a captain. This is what you should do. Well, it's certainly – I've never been a real vocal player, so I don't think it was in the locker room. I, I think it was must have been just more, you know, by by what I did on the ice and in the weight room or whatever it was, whatever it take to help the team, you know, team, team first uh, – just do whatever it takes, whatever the coach would tell me, and 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 just go out and compete and and go try and and lead by example that way. You know, put my body on the line, whatever whatever it took to help the team. It must be that. It certainly certainly again, you know, one of one of the looking back at the time, you you know, you're, you're okay. It's great, I'm captain, but looking back, certainly proud, certainly proud that that was the case for a year. You know, it was my hardest year for different different reasons. It was hard being a captain, but it was certainly very proud for a guy. You're just trying to make the NHL, you know, and then you're just trying to be a, just trying to be a player that can make a career. But but for your peers, and that year it was a voted team vote that that uh, you know gave me the captaincy. It certainly makes me proud to look back on my career that I had some guys that had that much respect for me. Wow, that's impressive. That's I can't even imagine what that would feel like to have that go to a team vote. And then, like you said, being cut from midgets, now you're in the NHL and now you're, you know, you put up together a really long, awesome career and then your teammates vote you as captain. That's just, I think that's just a a testament to everything you've done. It's just impressive. What was it like being traded and showing up in Colorado? Just being like, I've been a one organization for the last, you know, 10, 12 years and now you're in a new organization how was that first day at school well it was it was uh again it happens quick it happens quick you know you don't you don't see the behind the when 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 athletes get traded you don't see the behind the scenes part of it right you see the sports center ticker or whatever it might be but you don't see the boxes being packed and all that kind of stuff that's the hard part um you know, at that stage of my career, I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. Washington was starting to rebuild, so it wasn't going to happen there. Uh, at the time, at the time, the, at the time, you had to be 32 to be a free agent. I was approaching that mark, so there's a couple different reasons it was beneficial for me to get out. And I actually, you know, George McPhee, I give him credit. Uh, you know, I talked to him before the summer. I had one more year. I'm like, listen, I'll play out my contract, but I want a chance to win, so I may not sign back if. And and he found me and he, he got me the Colorado Avalanche. And so at the time, I don't know if you remember, but I get traded. There was no salary cap. And so the NHL had five or six teams that had a legit chance to win a Stanley Cup. And at that year, 
if I, if I, and I'll leave some off the team, but I, excuse me again, I, I get traded to, to Colorado and, and they call me and they're like, uh, and we have a couple injuries. So you're playing with, uh, Sackick and Solani tonight. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I think, uh, that's not a bad, that's not a bad line. I'm going in, going, going to play for, but we had, uh, that was this, they call it almost like a dream team. They call it a lot of media hype, but we had uh, Forsberg, Sackick, Blake, Foot, Solani, Korea, uh, uh, you know, did I say Adam Foot? I'm not sure, but we had it was a it was a star studded team that I'm going into to to be a piece of. So that was so exciting. We had a legit chance to win the Stanley Cup all year. We were the team to beat, you know, within within two three teams. So it was really cool. Unfortunate. We lost in the second round, but that was a fun year, and and it turned out the organization turned out to be unbelievable. And back working with them now, um, so it was it turned out to be great. It was a great great trade for me at the time. It needed to be needed to happen. Obviously, hard to leave the place. Yeah, you know, I, I spent so many years. I never would have thought I would have spent so many years in Washington. I remember, I remember my first year. I didn't want to even buy a vacuum because I just didn't want to have to pack up stuff when I okay. either got sent down or got traded. Next thing you know, I was there about twelve years. So. So it was, that part of it was hard because it was a big part of my life, but but it turned out great. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And then to be with Colorado, um, you know, with the Grizzlies being the farm club for the Avalanche, I get to, you know, sit in and hear a lot of the stuff or witness a lot of interactions and just talking to the players and the coaches and the ownership of the Grizzlies. And, I mean, we've had some – there's nothing negative to be said about any of the other organizations that the Grizzlies have been a part of or that I've got to see some of the inner workings of. But the Avalanche just take it to the next level with, like, it seems to be such an amazing organization to be a part of. And I honestly I – don't, I don't know if I should even say this, but it, the opening came up with Colorado Eagles, and I thought for sure that, you know, we were going to see some Grizzly – Coaches move into that spot, and uh, and I thought Knasiewicz would be moving up, and I'm and I'm sure that was talked about. But when your name popped up, and they said, "Yeah, Connell," it just that just seemed right. That like that seems for all of us here, we just thought, okay, that fits. Like he's been coaching and all the stuff you've been doing at juniors, and I was like, I was pretty excited for you. And I like I said, I just thought that was such a good fit. Did you when you saw that pop up? Did you? start calling everybody you know like give me that spot give me that spot well it certainly certainly it uh it fits what i'm i'm looking to do you know and again i've been i've been fortunate enough to be able to get in the game a long time playing and 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 also coaching so i i get to be a little bit a little bit picky and and uh you know my family plays a big factor but but certainly when this position opened up um it was something i wanted to do one colorado i've been there a lot of years you know, but also going back to an organization I know because you you know they're going to different organizations. They're run differently, different different people. There's real good ones, and there's other maybe maybe organizations that are are not quite as good. And I knew Colorado organization and staff would be would be fair, very very good, and like like almost like going home. And it certainly has been that way. That as far as the level I'm coaching, I went back to junior again from pro because. I love coaching the kids and helping develop. You know, I find at that level of junior, you can really develop young players at on on and off the ice. You know, and they got to the point. Okay, I was I was ready to move on back into pro, but I still wanted to develop. So I think the American League, it's one avenue I haven't touched. Still, guys ready and hungry to get to the NHL. Hopefully, I can help them. And and obviously, a little bit less. Uh, I don't know, babysitting is the right word from junior hockey, but a little bit less. You know, a little bit less of a parent. Uh, junior hockey, you have to really take care of your players on and off the ice and, and be aware of what's going on these days, and it, it can be stressful. So I could still develop and also be in a good organization and 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 have you know, hopefully, help some guys get to the NHL. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, from what I've known of you for for years, it seems like you're the a great person to do that, and I'm sure that the organization is lucky that you're there. I'm glad that. Uh, Glad that that part worked out for you. I'm pretty excited to see what happens this next season. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. So as we go, I, I just like, and I know maybe these are kind of hard questions to, to answer or maybe weird questions to answer, but uh, again, just looking back, if you could tell a young Salt Lake player one thing to do, 
one thing not to do? Like looking back, what would you say? All right, definitely do this. And uh, this is a mistake I made. Definitely don't do that. And then the third thing is, is there somebody in Salt Lake that you want to just give like a special thanks or shout out to, you know, besides your parents or whatever. But um, yeah, those are the three questions that I kind of try to finish up with on the, on these interviews. Well, let me, let me, I mean, the, the thanks would be to the people. I think we touched first the Brandons that kind of ran that team and took care of us and made it fun. So thanks to them for sure. Bob Tucker all the time and coaching and taking us under his wing and, and, you know, thanks to them as well. And, uh, you know, financially, and I, I believe, and again, I don't know everybody, but I know the Madsons helped a little bit, uh, thanks to them. And I know there's more, you know, but, uh, it's been a lot of years and I was a young kid and I don't think my, my parents necessarily thought that was any of my business, but, uh, anyway, so I'm leaving guys out, you know, Odie Cook was, you know, we, we were, played every year together and, and had so, so much fun just being green grats together and, and trying to, trying to torment the other team. And so, so we had fun together and again, all that. So, you know, thanks to those, all those guys. And, you know, I know I'm leaving guys out and there's a ton of guys, but I, if I had more, more names I mentioned, the more I'm going to leave out. So I'll just kind of leave it at there, but there's just ton of, ton of, ton of, ton of people and, and that. So anyway, but yeah, thanks to them for sure. For sure. Uh, and then uh, what was your, you had another part. I, I, so, I dropped yeah. it off. And then the other part would be like, if you're looking back on your career, what was a mistake that you'd like to tell somebody else? Like, avoid this. Don't, don't do this. Learn from me. Don't do this. Man, that's a tough, that's a tough one. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very fortunate things. The, the path kind of, I mean, I, 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 it's probably easier for me to say what to do. Just if you love it, pursue it. Okay. If you love it, pursue it. Like just, and, and do it. And, and I, I remember talking to my mother when I was in Prince Albert, uh, and I was getting cut off the teams. And at that point they had to move up there so we could play hockey. And I'm like, why? Well, I feel terrible. You guys move for, move for me and my, and my brother to play. He goes, well, we're not going to make nothing. And she's not about that. You guys have a passion. We can tell you have a passion. We're going to support it. So, so that'd be more, more what to do. If you have a passion, you know, go, go dive in, go dive in and pursue it as much as you can. Perfect. Well, that's an awesome thing to leave on. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to say, just knowing that this is a, you know, this is a Utah audience? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you, I think you covered it. I think the other thing that hockey's changed too. I mean, it sounds like, like we're listening. No, you got to leave. You got to leave. And, and, you know, Utah's not alone with that now. I mean, even, even the hockey hotbeds of, of Canada and that they're moving 14, 15, 16 to different academies. So it just seems the way hockey's gone. So, so the Utah, the people playing minor hockey, the kids playing minor hockey, I don't think are as lone as what I was where we, when we had to move, you know, but cause that's just the way hockey's going now that, 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 you know, if you want to go that 14, maybe 15, 16, it doesn't matter where you live. People are moving to, to try to pursue their best opportunity. And that's just the way it is. You know, that's that's a really good point, too, because we get so caught up in the fact that, oh, all of our Utah players are moving to Colorado. But, yeah, you got you got players in Canada. That's why there's billets everywhere is because people are moving from everywhere to somewhere else to play, to get in those markets that have set up junior hockey that's competitive and midget hockey that's competitive. It doesn't – it's not a terrible thing in Utah. We do have AAA here, and they have been able to produce – a few players, but people don't see it as legitimate. So, I mean, I think if, if more players just stayed here and made that triple T, AAA team a little bit more competitive with Utah players, with our best players, that would kind of solve it. But nobody wants to be the test tube on that one. But when you think about it, yeah, kids in Canada move to another part of Canada. Kids in Minnesota move to another part of Minnesota to play on a more competitive team or, you know, that's why there's billets. Yeah, they do. They do. So you're not alone there. It would be nice. It would be nice for for if a program could get where there's a little bit more confidence in in some kids to to be able to stay and play midget AAA or midget Double A or or whatever Bantam AAA in Salt Lake City. I think it'll get there. Um, obviously, hockey's grown a ton from what I hear. Uh, you know the the Avalanche took the Avalanche. I, I remember we were very competitive. Couldn't quite beat the Littleton team that was always pretty good when I was growing up. But we'd hang around in there. But the Avalanche just took hockey in Denver to a whole whole new level. And, you know, Salt Lake hasn't kept up to that, but it certainly seems to be growing. And, you know, I, I, hopefully one day it can get to the point where where they're competing with the Thunderbirds and those teams in Colorado. 
Yeah, and and Vegas has taken off now too. The amount of, the Knights have put so much into youth hockey, and uh, which actually brings me up to another question: Have you heard all the talk about Salt Lake getting an NHL team? I've I've heard different I've heard different uh, rumors about it. I've heard what a baseball team too as well. They're here, so it sounds like they're looking for a for a, for another big sports team there. So that'd be exciting if the NHL went. I think I mean you look at every city in NHL, Arizona, whatever it goes to, their minor hockey jumps real quick into you know it, it just so many kids join i'm in seattle now and all of a sudden five different sheets of five different sheets popped up the vice because of the crack and i had a nice we had a nice group all summer we could skate with uh this year we'd have men's league this year we couldn't have men's league because now there's enough kids that are filling the ice with hockey schools in seattle which is a good problem but i they took our ice time but uh <laughs> it's, but a that, good it's, problem, but it's still a they, problem it's a good problem for the kids yeah. Yeah, but what about so, us? What about the old men that still want to play? Yeah, that's right. But anyway, so yeah, that if they ever got a team, you would see the hockey just just boom in in Salt Lake. Yeah, they're actually it's it's funny because I've done a lot of research into it, and the the ownership group here is legit that is looking to bring a team here. They already own an NHL team, and they they know what it takes, and they know if a you know they have a better idea of whether it would work or not. So. They seem to be pretty confident. I really thought we were going to get the Coyotes. I really did. Oh, is that right? Well, well, that'd be exciting for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Steve, I know I've taken a ton of your time. I really appreciate you being our first guest on season six. And um, I, I, I don't I don't know why it took us so long to get a hold of you. I know I could have tried harder, but um, it's just awesome to be able to talk to you. And I, I, I want to also say I appreciate I have a, a, a digital picture frame in my front room where I'm doing this broadcast from, and it pops up all these pictures I've taken over the years. And there's several of me and you and my son and Mike Brennan's son back in the day when we you were with the Avalanche, we'd come into town with a tournament. You always took the time, let the kids in the locker room, and, and you know, you were always such a good ambassador of hockey for being a Utah guy and making sure all the Utah kids – got that connection to the NHL, which we did not have for so long. So just want to thank you for that. That's such wow. a cool show that, up. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad I did that. Sometimes yeah, it's, you get you get caught up. So I'm glad to hear I, I, I did that and and it, and it meant something to everybody because uh certainly like to do that. You certainly like to help as much as you can and and sometimes it's tougher tougher to do than you think when you're you know you're busy in the nhl teams you're on the go and they like to keep things clamped down so so i'm glad it worked out and uh, that everyone appreciated it yeah well and it meant a lot and you know two or three of those kids that were in that tour are actually uh two of them played in the la Kings system and are playing pro in europe now and um you know there were a lot of opportunities came to those kids out of that group and you know a lot of that passion got fed by people wow. like you helping out. Well, that's good to hear. That's awesome. But all right, Steve, I really appreciate you being on the show. And I just want to um, thank you again. And uh, we'll just call that the Utah Puck Report. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.